If you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. And we refer to um, Psalms, we're, gonna, we're starting this new series. Um, these are, this, th- these, this is a collection of songs or prayers. Songs or prayers. They're, they're poetic in nature. And you'll see that um, if you look at your Bible and you turn to almost anywhere else in the, in the Bible, you'll see that um, the, the actual print of this, it's, it's centered. It's centered in the, in, why is that? Because these are verses. And so even in your Bible, if you turn over to like the Gospel of John, you'll, you'll see that your page looks very different than when you are at Psalm 1. These are a, a collection of songs. There's 150 psalms in total. Um, each psalm, though, stands alone. There's a particular organization um, to these psalms, um, they, or songs. They, they are um, songs that were written for God's people to sing, and they were songs that were written over a long period of time. They weren't collected all at once, and, and uh, God's people, since the, the nation of Israel, have been singing these and praying these particular songs. Um, we desire to be faithful. In fact, the, the New Testament actually calls us to sing in two places, in Colossians 3, verse 16, and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. It actually calls us to sing different kinds of psalms. Um, it, it, the, the Word of God says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So in the Psalter, it's another word for the collection of the Psalms, um, we see there's 150. Um, you'll see, if you look at your Bible, maybe you've never noticed this, um, you'll see that, that at the top of Psalm 1, it says, Book 1. Book 1. The, the Psalms are divided into five sections. Um, you'll, you'll, you, if you turned over to uh, Psalm 42, you'll see that there's Book 2. And then, uh, so it's Psalm 42 to Psalm 72 is book two. And then Psalm 73 to Psalm 89 is book three. And, and then Psalm 90 to Psalm 106 is book four. And then 107 to 150 is book five. Whenever you see this kind of organization, um, you, you have to say, well, why are these collections, why are they collected um, in this particular way? Well, there, there is a particular method to the organization um, of the Psalms, and we'll see that, and we'll talk more about the organization of the Psalms as we move through um, this particular series. Um, there, there are Psalms that were written by David, um, but there's not, and he's perhaps the most known writer of the Psalms, um, but there are Psalms that are um, written by Solomon and Moses, the sons of Korah and Asaph, and there are Psalms that we don't know who the author um, is um, in that, that particular psalm. Um, there are psalms that, that are here that um, are reflective of the writings of, of Moses. Um, the psalms themselves were collected into this collection while Israel was in captivity in Babylon. It's an interesting fact. We'll explore that a little bit more as we uh, go through this series. Why would people who are disobedient and, and taken captive collect essentially this this book of their songs together. Um, There is um, 
There, there are, um, sorry, I lost my place. Uh, there, there's a flow to the Psalms. There's a flow to the Psalms. So a little bit about um, the organization of the Psalms. Uh, Robert, uh, or um, Palmer Robertson has written a book called The Flow of the Psalms. It's really helpful. In fact, you can kind of Google that and get some great charts um, of the Psalms. But he said, he said this, of, of the first 41 Psalms, it is about confrontation. It's about confrontation. And the second book is about communication corresponding to the establishment of the Davidic kingdom. And in book three, there is this devastation. And so there's these Psalms that, that, that talk about devastation and the promise of God to keep his people and the promises that he made specifically to, to David. Now, there's psalms that cry out in this collection of psalms that are devastating. Of where is God in this? Have you ever been in that place? Book four has a theme of maturity, maturing. Psalm 90 is the first psalm in that book. And in Psalm 90, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. That particular psalm most likely is written by Moses. And, and so we see this, this maturing and this, the, the theme of, of God's faithfulness and God's faithfulness to mature his people, to raise up a people of God from generation to generation. And finally, book five carries the theme of, of consummation. Um, we are carried along. It is God who brings us home. He carries us Along, And you'll notice that the last um, several psalms, the last five psalms, begin and end with praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In fact, Psalm 150 says this, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet and sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That is why that ending is why this book has been known as the, the book of praises. The book of praises. Now there's something interesting about the Psalms. And, and I think it's, it's really helpful to us. Uh, the Psalms, when, when the, the writers of the Psalms, and they are varied, uh, they, they put into words and they describe something. We tend to think of these things very visually. Uh, sometimes what the Psalms will do, and we'll see this as we move through the Psalms, the Psalms are putting into words our particular feelings. Right? Our particular feelings. Now, and I've talked about um, feelings, and, and I think in, in our time, feelings are very important when you look at just how society thinks about feelings. Um, in fact, um, we would almost put feelings over fact, right? Feelings over fact, that um, if you're talking to someone and you say, you know, this is, you know, X, Y, or Z, they, they might say, well, but let me tell you how I feel about X, Y, and Z. And the feelings almost become more important than the reality. More important than the reality. What the Psalms do is the Psalms talk about our feelings. Um, they talk about how our feelings relate to reality and how our feelings relate to God. 
So I think there's some really important things for us as modern people to understand about ourselves, to understand the place of our feelings, because our feelings do matter. God created us with feelings. Um, God created all things, right? God created wonderful things. God created poison ivy. I don't recommend rubbing it on your skin, right? So there, we, we need to know about these things because in creation, we need to know how God created us and created the world so that we can operate in the world to God's glory. So we're going to see and talk a, a lot about these kinds of, of, of expression of feelings as the psalmist writes about these feelings. Now, this is a collection of psalms. It is proper to refer to the psalms not as Psalms chapter 1, but rather as Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 in that way. Also, understand this, that these are psalms. And so while we think of them as songs and we think of them as prayers, they are not, this is not the collection of solos. Right? It's not the collection of solos. So, uh, you know, when you go to a concert, right, you, it's very different. You go to a concert. I, one of my favorite groups, I love the Lone Bellow. Mitch and I talk about music groups and, and who, you know, all kinds of different things like that. But I love, I love this group. They're kind of an Americana group. And I've seen them several times in concert. You go and you say, well, everybody sings at those concerts. That is true. But there's a whole different mentality when you go to see the lone bellow in concert. You are there not to hear me sing, right? That's not, people aren't like, I'm going to go to the lone bellow and I want to hear the people sing. No, who do you want to hear sing? The performer. And we call them by that name, the performer, right? It's a whole different mentality. The book of the Psalms is not a book of solos meant to be performed, right? So as we read these, even as we, as we talk about this, when we get into to Psalm 1, so we talk about this, you need to think about this because these are songs and prayers meant to be what? Sung in the company, right? In the company of the church, God's people. We do come here, we, we ought to come here, right, to hear each other sing, right? I actually, like, I gauge worship not by how well the worship team and people up here are doing and leading, but by how well they're leading you and can we hear your voices. Are you singing? Because that's the job of those that lead worship through music is to help the congregation sing, is to help the congregation sing. One of my sons had his wisdom teeth out, and we were driving back from Grand Rapids, and of course, you know what happens when you get their wisdom teeth out. Well, we had the local Christian radio station on, and he was in the back, and he just, you know, had his mouth full of gauze, and he, he said, and this song was on, and, you know, he was staring off into space. He said, I love this song. And then he went on to tell about the, how, how I love, and, and he named the worship team, how I they sing it so much better than the radio. And that ought to be true, right? 
that ought to be true. A little bit of performance, maybe not a little bit, but a lot of performance has seeped into our mentality um, when it comes to worship, right? And so think about this book not as a collection of solos, but rather this book is for the community. So be careful when you internalize this. So when we read, blessed is the man, church, what is that talking about? Come on now. Okay, it's talking about everybody, right? It's talking about every, blessed is the man, right? Now, it's addressing you. It's addressing me. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Jesus, you're, you're going to be right most of the time with that answer. Um, it's, it's talking about you and me, but it's, it's what? It's not a solo. This, as we get into this first psalm, Psalms 1 and 2, think of columns entering into the temple. Psalms 1 and 2 function as these columns that you pass through that introduce all of the psalms. And they are part of the, 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 um, the anthem of God's people to be sung. In fact, Psalms 1 and 2 summarize all of the psalms. And we're going to look at Psalm 1 today, and we're going to look at Psalm 2 next week. <clears throat> psalms 1 begins like this. Let me read the psalm for you, and then we'll look at the outline, and we'll move through this time rather quickly. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffer. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Three things this morning that we see in this psalm. Three things that I want you to pay attention to in this psalm. We'll put them up on the screen. Um, first, we're going to see the path of delight. The path of delight. Second, we're going to see the path of destruction. And then we're going to see how to be blessed. Now, when you think about how to be blessed, this psalm points towards that. It's very clear. The blessing, yes, is to you and to you and to you and to you. But remember, we're not singing a solo. The blessing is to us and to us and to us and to us. Right? We're meant to obey this together together. <clears throat> You'll notice first the path of delight. In Psalm 1, there's two paths set before us. There's two paths. There's one, the path of the righteous, and there is secondly, the path of the wicked. There are only two paths in life, okay? Young people, get that, understand that. There's only two paths in life. You're either on one or you're on the other, right? You're on one, you're on the other. 
You know, you heard Philip's testimony, right? Which path was he on? Clearly he said he's on the path of destruction, right? We, we, and if you want to think of those paths, think of those paths in a V. Um, this is not exactly theological. This illustration breaks down, but it's practical, right? Those paths start in a V. When you're young, it's pretty easy to kind of bounce between the two. One to the other to the other. But those paths travel in radically different directions, separated by two degrees, getting to its final destination. The longer you go in life, the more difficult it is to go from one to the other. The more one will either have a hold on your life or the other. So think about that this morning when this psalm presents to us two particular paths. They go in different directions. Um, They ultimately move and swing towards polar opposites. And they have lifelong implications. The first is the path of delight. The way of the righteous is called the way of life because that's where it leads. It leads to life. And and that that way is set before us in verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessing here. It starts with the psalm begins, the psalms begin with blessing and they end with praise. Those are two great bookends to a book. To begin with blessing and to end with praise, right? You You can be assured, if you're reading the novel of the psalms, right, and you flip open the beginning, you're like, blessing, and you flip to the end, you're like, I think I know where this is going. And that's what we have laid out here. The way of the righteous is the way of life. It leads to life. And and blessed simply means being happy. It means being happy. It is conditional here. The Psalms begin with a description of the man or woman who is happy. Do you wish to be happy? Do you wish to be blessed? then take this path of life. It's conditional. Your happiness is conditional as to where your feet are pointed. Which path are they pointed on? You see, the psalm describes someone who is happy, but the description as it develops is one who is not just simply conditionally happy, but that happiness goes from condition to deep, satisfaction, and full life, abundant life, eternal life. And you'll notice that the way is first described in negative terms. So it it, it negates certain things. Blessed is the man who walks not, right? You've heard life is a journey. That is true. We are sojourners. We live moment by moment, one day, one week, and in a year at a time. So man's life is described using as this metaphor of walking, Right? Um, um, Cedarville University will say, college students, you have a thousand days, give or take. Right? How are you going to use those thousand days? I was thinking about that because today's um, our anniversary. So I have been married for 10,592 days. What are you going to do with 10,592 days? Don't congratulate me. Clap for grace. <laughs> It's a journey, right? You're walking. It's day by day by day by day. We're sojourners. And if we wish to be blessed in life, then here and now we have a path. 
a path that we must choose. And it says here, don't follow. Don't follow. Don't walk in a particular way. Don't walk what? In the counsel of the wicked. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Notice that there's this, this progression downward, and that's as we, 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 we can hear James speaking of how sin operates. Here we have this downward progression as well. If we wish to be blessed, then we must not walk in the counsel of the wicked, as the text says. It doesn't say that we shouldn't be present with the wicked. One individual has said this, the church is in the world in the way a ship is in the ocean. And that is the way it should be. But bad things start happening when the ocean gets in the ship. Right? That's how we are. That's, we're the church in the world. It's the ark. Right? The ark was built to keep the ocean and the rising waters out. And bad things happen when the rising waters come into the household of faith or into the household. We have no choice to, but to walk in this present and wicked age. But the righteous have to live in this world. But we don't have to walk in their counsel. We, it doesn't say presence. It says counsel. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't learn from wicked people. Don't take advice from them. Don't be influenced by them. Do not go the way that they have gone. To be blessed is to go in a different direction than those that are wicked. This is a tricky thing, for wickedness is deceptive. And here, this psalm is called a wisdom psalm. It's helping us take the word of God and apply it to life. That's what these words are doing. It's a wisdom psalm. And so going this way is tricky. We sometimes don't realize how we have been influenced and how our thinking goes. Oftentimes, we have to confess that there's more ocean in us than we realize, that there's more water in the ship than ship in the ocean. In life, there's these two ways that we recognize. There's life and there's the way to death, and there's only these. So I ask you this morning as we begin this journey through the book of the collected Psalms, as you walk in this world, who are you surrounding yourself with? Um, who are you intentionally gathering with? Who are you listening to and gaining counsel from? Who are you being influenced by? Who are you looking to and saying, I want to model my life after? I want, I want to, them to serve as a guide. You know, in our day and age, we, we, um, we have to think in two ways. The psalmist is talking about literal people in their presence, but I think we have to think digitally as well. When you ask yourselves... Who's influencing you? Parents, who are you allowing to influence your children? From that, they have that glowing face and that glowing screen. Do you know what's in there? And are you, are you using wisdom in allowing the ocean into the ship? Who is influencing your children? Whose view of the world are you adopting as your own? We'll see that it's a movement. It's a progression. Because it's a walking in the council. 
And then a person stands in the way of sinners, and then what do they become? They become a scoffer. There's this downward progression. The, the, the psalm says, blessed is the person who does not do this, who stays away, who guards against this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. The one who chooses to walk in the counsel of the wicked soon finds themselves standing with sinners. You can see this. You can see this picture. They're no longer just influenced by them. They're standing with them. They're keeping company with them. Sinners are a part of their identity. It's their group and their grouping. Next, we see that we're warned that we do not sit in the seat of Scofford. The downward progression continues. The one who's on the wrong path walks in the counsel of, of the wicked, stands in the seat of sinners. Finally, they take their seat with scoffers. Um, in the wisdom literature, a scoffer are ones who live in rebellion against God. Understand that, that this is a, a progression. I don't like slippery slope arguments. I don't like them. Because I think we, we sometimes, in life, we just pitch our tents on a slippery slope. We live in the world, right? I don't like slippery slope arguments. That's not what the author here is making. He's saying, this is what will happen, right? It's, the metaphor isn't a slippery slope. Well, if you do this, you're going to slide into this, and you're going to slide into that. No, he's, he's actually saying it's more definitive than that. If you plant the seed, what's going to come up, right? It's a plant. And what's going to come from the plant? Fruit. And he's saying it's like that. It's more determined like that. When you listen to the wisdom of the world, it will lead to this progression. That is a stern Warning. Proverbs 1.22 speaks of the scoffer as this. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Proverbs 21.24 says, Scoffer is, is the name here of, the, of an arrogant and haughty man who acts with arrogance and pride. Right? When we begin to think along the lines of the world, we begin to actually push against, reject the things of God. So we find not just in the company of wicked men and women, we actually find ourselves leaving the things of God, abandoning the people of God. For what? For other things other things. And we'll see that where this starts, it oftentimes, it, it starts at our heart. It starts at our heart. Do you wish to be blessed? You know, I think that that is the wish of everyone. Do we wish to be truly happy? Verse 2 says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So here we see the way of the blessed man or woman or family or church as we all sing together. We see it in, not in negative terms, but in positive terms. Here it's positive. Blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the wicked, but his delight is what? In the law of the Lord. Now we see this in other places in Scripture. 
right? We see this actually um, in, in part of the structure of the Psalms follows the Torah, the first five books. You can take book one and look at Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, right? So it, it has that it has that flow as well. Some people say, well, that is how it's organized. It's organized in that way. When you think about Deuteronomy, right? What was Deuteronomy? What was the book of Deuteronomy about? Well, it was about a generation that had failed. They failed to do what? They failed to believe Joshua and Caleb. The two spies versus the ten spies, the two said, hey, let's take God at his word. Let's walk this path. We can do this. And, and the people of Israel, all of the people of Israel said, right, I was hoping, I was, that was like a trick amen. I, Rick, you're paying attention, right? They said, no. They went with what? The 10. They said, hey, Joshua and Caleb, you know, there's a lot of people that are saying this isn't the way to go. Hey, I got some friends who are saying there's another path that we should be on. Hey, did you hear what, you know, Fred, he was the fourth spy. He said, those people are twice as tall as us. And what did, what did God's people do? Did they go with the word of God? Or did they take the counsel of the wicked? They said, hey, there's a lot of people saying, I think we're going to go with the counsel of these. And what did God do? God said, that's the wrong way. And that, what happened? That whole generation was lost. They died. And so you have then the next book that follows Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy was Moses preaching again to this next generation because the previous generation failed them. So he's preaching the law all over again. And the next book begins this way. This book, this is from Joshua, the first chapter. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall, ma for then you shall make your way prosperous. Then you shall be successful. What is the prosperous and successful way according to God's good grace? He's, he's, he's said, here's my law. It's, it's my law. In fact, these two, uh, we'll see this, these two psalms function as law and grace. Law and grace. And he says here, but he delights in the law of the Lord. Those are the commands of the Lord. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. That's what it says. The difference between the wicked and the one that goes the wicked way is a matter of delight. It's a matter of delight. It's a matter of the heart. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. You see, it's about delight before it's about behavior. Certainly the law addresses behavior. But what God's getting at when he talks about the law is he's actually talking about our heart. He's talking about our heart, right? Is our heart lined up with our behavior? And he says here, the blessed one is the one that delights. Delight is a powerful word. 
It means to take great pleasure in, to delight, to take great pleasure in God's law. This person draws from God's law. He sees it as good and beautiful, and he or she takes pleasure in it. Have you ever delighted in something? I I know you have. Every human does. We have a wonderful capacity to perceive things outside ourselves and consider them to be either good or bad or lovely or unlovely, lovely, to move towards that which we consider to be good and bad is delight, to move towards that thing, whatever it may be, an object or person or a thought, it's delight. We moved into a, a new house that has a patch of finely mowed bent grass in the backyard. Some would call it a putting green. It's a little ridiculous. Um, And there was like one of these green mowers that came with the home. It has to be mowed every day. (laughs) The green mower broke. And I have found great delight in keeping that patch of grass green and short. It'll never function as truly a putting green. I can't get it short enough and water it enough. I'm not that obsessive. But I... I'll go by the, the window and I'll be looking at that. That looks beautiful. Oh, that's great. So I, I delight in it enough that I actually bought a push reel mower, right? Now, this means I sweat for 10 minutes every day mowing this small patch of grass. It's really silly. Actually, I think some of you, by the looks in your face, are saying, that's stupid. <laughs> there are people in my family that feel the same way you do. Keep the dog off it. You can't pee on the green. (laughs) It's delight. Here's the problem. We have things we delight in. They're good things. They're from the hand of God. Blessed is the man or woman who what? Recognizes all of those are second, third, fourth, fifth. And the one thing that is first is the delight in God. God forbid that we are so, children, we can say this in this, stupid to delight in a patch of grass more than God. Oh, how foolish, foolish that would be. Absolutely foolish. But for some of us, we can justify a little patch of grass, and delight in it. And you know what the Bible says? You know, I I wasn't going to maintain this silly green. But then I started thinking about, I started thinking about this verse, about how life is what? What does the psalmist and the one in Proverbs, what does he say? Life is what? It's like grass that does what? It withers and fades. We're not here. We're not here very long. There's two paths. So ask yourself, which one are you on? And the test is, who are you delighting in? What is your delight? What's your greatest love? What is your greatest treasure? Can you say, God is my delight? I love him more than any other thing. He says that he meditates day and night. Are you like this person? 
Verse 3 is a description. Like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What a beautiful image and how true it is. And we could talk more about that. But we must move on to the path of destruction. Look at the time. Verse 4, it says, The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Here we have the comparison to the tree planted. They're like the chaff and they get blown away. Verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So verses 5 and 6 mirror verses 1 and 2, repeating the words wicked and sinners and stand. So the wicked stand together in this world. They appear that they stand with great strength. But here we see that the wicked will not stand in the end. They will be blown away by God like they are nothing. So why do they hold so much sway? They will be judged. It says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The use of know here is more than just he understands. Rather, it's active, he does. He will destroy them. So the question is, how to be blessed? How to be blessed? Um, this psalm is a psalm of law. Maybe you're feeling that way. Maybe you're feeling that way. Are, are you feeling that way? I've said, do you delight in the law of God? And you said, yes, pastor. I woke up this morning at 4 a.m. I read through 150 psalms. I have my devotions every day, and I love it. You know, I, I, I do all these things. You list, I, I'm here. I'm coming to the 11 o'clock too. Right? Or are you feeling like, I, do, I, don't, I don't get it. There's a disconnection. I don't delight in these things. I'm in church. That's good. I should delight in these things. Maybe young people, you're like, I'm taking notes. Ain't that enough? What do you want from me? I didn't give my parents a hard time. I even told them I liked church. That was a lie, but no, I don't know. Right? Are you kind of feeling law right now? You should be. You should be feeling like I do not measure up. And guess what? You don't. I don't. Guess what? If you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to. If I, I, I hopefully did something to you. <laughs> the word of God hopefully did something to you through this. I hope you felt like, man, I hope in the back of your mind, I didn't measure up, but I'm going to make a good effort of it because I want to delight in God, right? That's, that's actually a good thing, right? If your heart's going like, I know I should, but I don't, that's a good thing. But the key here, and it gets at it, is how do we be blessed? How do we be blessed? Who's the blessed man of Psalm 1? Ha, 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 I was waiting for it. yes. The blessed man of Psalm 1 is not you. Oh, you are here if you are in Christ. But if you're not thinking through the lens of Christ, then you're merely religious and condemned. But salvation is offered here in Psalm 1 because Jesus is the only blessed one. He said it himself. Turn over to Matthew 5. Matthew 
the Gospels, right? Their narrative pointing to who? Jesus. Jesus himself is coming and he's telling everyone that he is the one. See if you don't hear the Psalms. In Psalm 1, in this particular passage, Matthew 5, he said, Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, for I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. Do you see what he was saying in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount? Who's the one that's blessed here? It's Jesus is the one that brings the kingdom. It's Jesus who is the salt. It's Jesus who is the light. And we are to be in Jesus. Jesus is the only blessed man. He's the only man who walked this way of life perfectly with no stain of sin. His food was to do the Father's will, and he did it. He kept God's law perfectly and perpetually. He did it in his entire life. He stood before the Father. He sat down upon the throne prepared for him. But what about us? Can we walk the way of life? Can we be blessed and happy? Is it possible for us to stand in judgment? The answer is yes, but only in Christ. It's the only way. We must be found in him. We must repent and believe. That's why we practice these things together. We must have our sins washed away. We must trust him and be clothed in his righteousness. We must be renewed by his word and his spirit. As the gospel writer says, he is the vine and we are the branches. We are to abide in him. Here we see a picture of the law, Psalm 1. We'll talk next week about Psalm 2. That is about the grace of salvation. In verse 12 in Psalm 2, it says this, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Do you see the way of blessing? Do you see the way of blessing? It's not to force yourself to delight in the law and meditate by sheer power of your will. You will delight in the law if you trust in Jesus and he changes your heart. 
And so if in those moments where you were saying like, oh, I, I do want to delight, but I know I don't measure up, that's exactly where God wanted you this morning. Because he wanted to lead you to Jesus so that you could confess your sins and pour out your heart and cry to Jesus and say, God, give me a desire for you. Help my heart delight in you. Blessing follows obedience. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that we will obey you as we learn to sing these songs together. Um, we are excited for what you're doing in hearts and lives, in families, in our church family. Obedience is not easy. It never is. Um, and even as we, we learned in the book of Philippians, um, yesterday we're, we're called to stand, and we can only stand in Jesus. And it's only in the difficult things do we discover the gem of joy. It must be mined in the mine shaft of obedience. And oftentimes that means there's very little light and there's a lot of darkness. But the light that we have is the light of the world. And we know that the darkness will be dispelled by that light. So in these moments, in these quiet moments, in the next few moments, search our hearts. Do your work of love in our lives. Ply your grace that it may unhinge our own righteousness and self-worth, our own arguments about holding to our idols. Free us from all of that in the beauty and grace of surrender. Help us to discover the path of life. Amen.